following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Welcome to the Forbes Sports Money Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Ozanian. On this show, we talk about the business of sports. Thanks for tuning in to another podcast. I have a very special guest with me today, Laura Gentili, who until just recently was just the Senior Vice President, ESPNW and Women's Initiatives for ESPN. But now, just because she didn't have enough work to do, I guess, she's also charge of business operations and business activity at ESPN. Laura, welcome to the podcast show here at Forbes Sports Money. Thank you very much, Mike. So I wanted to get into your your great site, uh, ESPNW, but because I know you're a Yankee fan, we got to start off with Joe Girardi will not be returning to manage the Yankees after nine years and after winning one world championship and taking them to the American League Championship Series and one game from the World Series. I mean, how do you feel about that, Laura, as a Yankee fan? I am not happy, I have to say. Um, I thought Joe was a not only a wonderful sort of ambassador for the Yankees, like former player, won a world championship, but it seems like we're on the cusp of another great run, and it seems like a curious time to sort of start over um, at the manager level. I thought he did a really great job this year, and I think he's a really kind of, uh, I don't know, a special person. You know, he has a deep peel. He's really intelligent. Um, so, yeah, as a Yankee fan, I'm disappointed. Well, I also know while you were at Duke, you were a uh, All-American and you also garnered all ACC honors in field hockey and, and a two-time team captain. So you know a lot about leadership. One of the things I've always kind of felt, and I want to run this past you, is, you know, he was there nine years, Girardi. Was after a while, uh, th- does the tone or the approach of a leader begin to wane? In other words, sometimes you, you just need to shake things up to shake things up. I don't know. I think sometimes you get seduced by that, and it seems like, oh, yeah, change for change's sake. But I'm not quite sure who's waiting in the wings that's going to be as experienced, as uh, as successful, frankly, mm-hmm. as as Girardi. So, yeah, sometimes it feels like change is the, is the sexy option. But I also think, you know, you could have put the onus on him to continue to evolve and continue to challenge him to say, hey, you know, perhaps you got to try a few new things. But, again, I'm not so sure without a clear succession plan who they're bringing in that's that's going to be an upgrade. Yeah, you actually made a very good point before we uh, went on air, which was, you know, for us New York Giant football fans, that was sort of one of the criticisms of former coach Tom Coughlin where we sort of felt 
he wasn't getting his message or the players weren't in, uh, listening to him anymore and they were still making the same dumb penalties and, and not responding like they had during those two Super Bowl runs. Enter Bob McAdoo and things haven't exactly panned out. So you, so you sort of like it's the bird in hand theory, you know, where at least with Girardi you knew what you had as you did with Coughlin and you don't know what the successor is going to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, as a Giants fan, I, I kind of wish we still had Coughlin. You know, I feel like he connected with Eli in a special way, and he had major, major success. And I think just the timing of the Girardi move to me is a little curious. You know, maybe it really was he wants to spend more time with his family. But, again, they have such an incredible roster at this point and such a great mix of of young stars. It's like, gosh, I feel like it's a very coveted position, and uh, it seems interesting to me that that's the time to walk away. Uh, so I guess we'll have to see how the replacement does and, and who it is. And as you and I sit here uh, right now, we don't know who that's going to be. Um, you, you think know, it'll be John Farrell? <laughs> no, I, I don't think it'll be him. I, and uh, I don't think it's going to be uh, the former Mets coach either. I, I My sense is actually it's going to be somebody who, whose name is going to really surprise us. Like I, I would lean to somebody – even though people are saying the Yankees like to keep it within the organization, within the Yankee family, that may be the case. But if it is, I suspect it may be somebody from like maybe their Wilkesbury, their top minor league coach, somebody like that. Uh, but somebody with a little different uh, approach, maybe somebody that's used to working with a lot of these young stars that they've had coming up, like Judge and Sanchez, and maybe knows some of the others that they're going to be bringing up soon because they have several really, really good prospects. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I just also think that's a huge leap going from whatever that is, single A, double A, triple A, to manager of the New York Yankees. So, again, I think I'm a bird in the hand one on this one. <laughs> well, <laughs> you also are giving me, a, you're giving me a great segue here, Laura, because um, I have one child, a daughter, and she's 10, and she's you know started the last couple of years to say certain things about what she wanted to do when she got out of school and got out of college and she, you know for a while she wanted to own a bake shop then she wanted to have a youtube channel where she talked about arts and crafts anyway she plays girls softball for three years and the other day she's become a big yankee fan she said you know i want to work in sports she actually said nice. she said i you know i want to do something like uh uh, work with sports business or sports and that, something with sports, Dad. And I was like, oh, so that takes me to you, Laura. I mean, can you just tell our audience a little bit here about what your pathway has been to get to where you are today? Yeah, well, maybe um, pretty similar to your daughter. I was always a huge sports fan. Um, growing up, just literally watched the Yankees or the Rangers every night with my dad. And he had season tickets for the Giants, even when they were – terrible in the 80s (laughs) and uh for me i felt like i grew up with the espn brand you know i uh when espn hit the map in 79 and 80 i was a little little girl and a little tyke and i just fell in love with espn and i always had it on and i watched it you know as much as i possibly could so for me you know i didn't necessarily know i was going to make a career in sports but it was always a passion and it was something once i graduated school and i worked in advertising for a number of years i knew i wanted to get back into it because i knew it was something that just really i knew innately and felt like it, it was a part of me so 
Yeah, I uh, I feel like it, all, it was sort of maybe predetermined that I would, would work at ESPN someday. How do you knock down the barriers? Because I know especially, uh, like you said, you started following sports, you know, you know, at a young age and when ESPN was uh, in its early stages. And certainly at the time you started really getting into it, making headway, you know, women were much more stereotyped than they are today. How did you knock down doors and get through and let them know that, you know, no, you were serious, you know, and this was really something that you wanted a serious chance to be able to do? Yeah, I'm not even sure that was a a conscious effort on my part. You know, I think I was just always very knowledgeable and very passionate, and I worked really, really hard. So I sort of never really thought of the gender piece of it too much earlier in my career. Um, I just felt like I had a lot to offer, um, whether it was my bar- marketing background or then once I got here, you know, my ability to get results and make things happen. Um, and I think it wasn't really until I helped start ESPNW that I really was thinking through, okay, what are the opportunities? Are the opportunities limited? When do you hit a ceiling? How do we make the the industry at large more inclusive, and how do we get more women at the top? But I think in the early stages of just growing my career, I was a bit more heads down and let me just do great work and deliver results, and I'll keep on rising. Well, you joined ESPN in early 2003 in the advertising side and then moved up and became a director of brand management. Then you started to work uh, directly with George Bodenheimer, the president of ESPN and ABC Sports. What was the experience like working for Bodenheimer? Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, George is an incredible leader. He taught me so much, but almost even by just seeing him function every day. You know, he he was very decisive, but also very collaborative. He was a great, great listener. And he grew up at ESPN, so he knew the culture inside and out. He knew the people inside and out. Um, and he really helped business, uh, build the business model that we are working under today. So having a bird's-eye view of how decisions were being made, how we grew to be a leader um, in the industry from a, a small little cable startup um, was really fascinating. And that's when I really started you know, thinking bigger, not only about my career, but also what we could do at ESPN to continue our growth and find new opportunities. What was the origins of the idea uh, for ESPNW? Well, a lot of it was the opportunity to work for George Bodenheimer, as you said, where I was exposed to our bigger strategic thinking and our long-range plan and how we do business. And it really became clear to me that there's opportunity to grow with new audiences, that if we really thought about the women we serve every day or if we really think about kids or millennials, um, there were real greater opportunities for us. And so I really clung to the, the women's opportunity, being who I am and having grown up playing sports and knowing that women don't always have a place to go in the sports world and not every platform feels like it's built for her or for us. So I really felt like, gosh, there are literally, and we found this in our research, 49% of all sports fans are women in the United States, and that's 115 million people. That is a huge potential market 
to to reach. And then also knowing that ESPN has been reaching women for decades, how can we do more to serve those women more deeply, to tailor content to them more specifically, and to build a brand that she really feels within ESPN is speaking to her. So it kind of all came full circle. You know, my experiences as an athlete, um, the opportunity to work for George and see the big picture, and then really feeling confident about the ESPN brand that we could do more to serve more audiences um, it really just kind of, kind of came together behind this idea. And we'll be right back after this quick break. The Forbes Sports Money Podcast is brought to you by LifeLock. Equifax recently announced a breach of 143 million identities, and you need to take steps to get protection. Be among the millions who trust their identity theft protection to LifeLock. Go to LifeLock.com. Use promo code Forbes for 10% off. Laura, if you had to pick just one thing out, and I'm sure there are many, many things, but one thing out uh, that you learned from George that's helped you the most, what would you say that is? Gather as much information about a given topic that you're asked to make a decision on, and then use great judgment. You know, he was a master at asking a lot of questions, you know, not pretending that he knew it all, not acting as if he's the smartest person in the room, but literally engaging on any given topic and asking a lot of questions and picking people's brains and getting a lot of input and then ultimately feeling really confident in his instincts and his judgment to just make a decisive call. So on some level, too, he he demystified sort of business leadership for me because what I just described isn't necessarily that complicated. But not everybody does that. Mm. And he kind of showed me the way to take as much input as possible and then make the best possible decision and then live with that decision. So on some level, it's simple. On another level, it's hard to execute that every day. Was, was ESPNW your idea? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I, we had convened a group of employees. I had convened a group of employees around the idea of, what can ESPN do to serve women more completely? And so there was a group of us that, you know, kind of as a passion play in our spare time, would meet every six weeks and talk about it. And then, yeah, I'm the one who sort of spearheaded, let's make this a reality and let's pitch this as a business. You mentioned uh, 49%, I believe, was the number you mentioned of sports fans who are women. Um, What other types of metrics uh, and analytics did you compile in order to, when you were getting ready to uh, make the pitch for ESPNW? Well, some of it is just the sheer size of the audience. You know, sometimes when you think about women in sports, for people or for traditional thinkers, women and sports don't necessarily go together. So just sharing with people that we're not talking about a niche, we're not talking about a tiny little audience segment, we're actually talking about 150, 115 million Americans. <laughs> that's that's a huge number. And then also thinking about that number internationally, you know, outside the U.S., more than 40% of sports fans are women, and that's another 170 million people. So you sort of start with those big numbers, but I think what really gets people's attention is when you start talking about sort of the growing participation of women in sports and the notion that, like, thanks to Title IX, there's so many more young girls and women playing sports. There's so many more women who are 
fluent in the conversation, who are passionate and, you know, are are considering themselves avid sports fans. And then the notion that women are gaining power across industries and the idea that women have a voice and want a platform and want to speak up and that more and more we're decision makers and we're the consumers and we're controlling 85% of household decision making. And so a lot of those data points and trend lines and just how our culture is shifting just speaks to the growing power of women across industries, and sports is just one of those. And so we we did a lot of research. We used a lot of data, but we also hopefully, and I guess we did, put together sort of a passionate story around why we as ESPN and the worldwide leader in sports needs to serve this audience more deeply. Was it smooth sailing once you make the pitch, or did you have to go back? Were there, you know, what types of uh, questions, if any, did they have on your initial presentation? We started with a group of five of us who, when we got the green light, we put our heads down and started building out our plan and building out our products. So I think it was more the early days where, I don't know, you just feel like, I can't make a misstep. I don't want to make a misstep. I want to make sure people understand what we're about. I want to make sure people realize that, again, this is a part of our future. So I think maybe with any startup, the first couple years are the hardest because you're not necessarily resourced the way you'd want to be and you're not necessarily have all, you don't necessarily have all the answers. But once we sort of got our footing and once we started getting going, you know, we we gained in confidence and we tried a bunch of things and we were very experimental and we kind of tried to break the mold of what was expected of an ESPN property. So I would say it wasn't necessarily the pitch, but it was sort of the getting going and developing our vision more fully and actually executing um, day-to-day and trying to do things differently. You know, this the site is fascinating. You know, you have everything on there from culture, you had poetry, you have something, cast your vote on, on uh, two sides of an issue, uh, sports parents, which I think is a huge and growing area. You know, I a lot of times on the radio uh, on the weekend, they have on uh, – uh, WFAN here in in uh, New York, they have a show dedicated to youth sports, and there are so many issues there from coaching to funding. Right. Um, I find your mix really fascinating and interesting. How did you uh, how did the site evolve from what you initially had to where it is today? So we're sort of at the point now that we can really, I think, execute what we knew initially, which was the fact that when you talk to women about sports and you ask women to define their relationship to sports, there's a lot of facets to it, and it's really rich and it's really deep. And, you know, we just did a ton of research, and, like, one example of the research we did is we'd go into the homes of women um, and speak to them about their relationship to sports, and we'd ask them to do a little bit of homework, and we'd ask them to create collages of their relationships with sports, and ultimately, it wasn't them, you know, putting a stamp on a piece of paper saying, I'm a Giants fan, Yankee fan, Ranger fan. It was, okay, yes, I have my favorite professional sports teams, but I think about my alma mater. I think about what I do as an athlete myself, whether it's running a 10K or doing yoga every day. I think about the sports that my friends and my children perhaps play, and it's really a multifaceted relationship to sports with where she's as much a participant as she is a fan. And so 
we've really tried to capture a lot of that and speak to her as a sports parent, like you mentioned, speak to her as an athlete, speak to her as a person who really cares about the issues in sports. You know, one thing that we really dove on in the early days was domestic violence in sports, and particularly in the NFL. And that was a topic, I think, for a long time. People tiptoed around or didn't really dive into. And it's sort of this festering problem where why do, the, you know, why do these athletes kind of sort of get away with what they get away with? And we dove into it really deeply um, a couple of years ago when we had really great writers and journalists you know, thinking about it. And it's an example of perhaps if you know, ESPNW didn't exist or the type of writers that we had weren't employed here, maybe we wouldn't have gotten to the heart of the matter the way we did. But women really care about that. You know, you want to have favorite athletes but then feel like they have integrity too. So we try to, as you said, you know, run the gamut of what women think about when they think about sports, and it goes a lot deeper than, you know, just their favorite team. And we'll be right back after this quick break. With the recent credit bureau breach, one of the common questions is, should I freeze my credit? Unfortunately, taking this step won't protect you against every identity fraud threat arising from this data breach. Hackers got access to social security numbers, birth dates, and an unspecified amount of driver's license numbers. They can use this type of personal information to commit crimes in your name and even steal from your 401k. Now is the time to get protection. Sign up for LifeLock today. They use proprietary technology to detect a wide range of identity threats and will alert you if your information is being used. If there's a problem, one of their agents will work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But LifeLock can help you see more than if you're just monitoring your credit. Go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use promo code FORBES. That's FORBES for 10% off your LifeLock membership. Visit lifelock.com and save 10% now. Now on Podcast One Sports, it's a family affair on Attack Each Day, the Harbaugh's podcast. We're going to attack this day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Hear incredible stories on Sound of Success, the Dick Enberg podcast. Oh my. And guess who's talking America's favorite basketball team. Hey, it's Jay Moore and it is time for America's Lakers podcast. Listen on Apple Podcasts, the new Podcast One app. And where else, Jay? PodcastOne.com. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi oh! This next one's for you too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. You know, you know, uh, you mentioned Title IX and what that's done for women's participation uh, in college sports. And I got to tell you, you know, uh, I went to a Board of Ed meeting. I live in Glen Rock, New Jersey. And sort of diagonally across from our house is where the high school slash middle school is. And someone said, you should go attend this board meeting because the Board of Ed is thinking of cutting funding for middle school girl sports. So I said, what? So my my daughter's going to hit middle school next year. 
And uh, I just see how much athletics has helped her. I mean, and again, you know, she's not a star by any means in anything. I mean, but she loves playing and it's just really helped her. She does soccer. She does softball. You know, she, she likes tennis. Uh, very fortunate. She's, she's one of these young girls who uh, isn't great at anything but loves everything, you know. So right. I went over there and the sense I got, I'm listening to this, this, this group in the Board of Ed, and they're talking about, on the one hand, the sports part came at the end of the discussion, but they're bringing in, like, guest speakers to talk about address bullying at the school. And they're talking about uh, hiring someone to monitor where kids can go to for bullying. And so finally when they get to what they want to cut, and they're saying they're thinking of cutting, I think it was uh, – Girl, girls basketball uh, and basket and uh, soccer were the two uh-huh. two big things. And I said, you know, I said I just have two things to say about this. I said, Number one is, I said, I have to tell you, I said it doesn't make sense to me that on the one hand you're addressing bullying, which I'm not saying isn't a serious issue. It is, of course, but do you realize you're replacing what they a real life experience, the experience of participating in sports for for these these young women and what they learn from that the teamwork the 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 need to stand up for yourself uh-huh. to get up when you fall down all that great stuff that sports teaches you and you're replacing it with somebody that is going to teach them something or read them something out of a book i said i i said i have a problem with that i said number 2 i said if you cut out sports for these young women in middle school chances are they're not going to pick it up in high school Right. And then if they don't pick it up in high school, they're not going to play in college. I said, that just doesn't make sense to me. I said, it just really ticked me off. I, I still think that at certain levels, what I'm trying to get at here is I still think the uh, the the administrators in, in a lot of schools don't realize the importance of sports is uh, 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 for uh, women and, and what it can do for them. You know, I think that's true. I mean, that's definitely true. You know, and I think unless you've really been touched by sports yourself, perhaps you don't appreciate the power that it has. But we've done a lot of research on that, and we've done a lot of work with Ernst & Young, for example, um, where we found literally 94% of women in the C-suite of businesses played sport, and 52% of them played at the university level. Like, that's not a coincidence. You know, that's basically driven by, you know, playing sports teaches you things. You know, you have greater self-esteem. You have a greater sense of self. You have a greater sense of, of, of confidence and what it means to set goals and achieve goals and work really, really, really hard because you love something. So, you know, that's research we did with Ernst & Young, you know, almost two years ago. And it's still something we're evangelizing. But, like, 95% of women in the C-suite played sports. Like, that's... That's pretty telling. Um, I mean, has, didn't it help you? I mean, uh, absolutely, what, absolutely. When I think of, you know, you don't always like look in the mirror and reflect on where you are in life. But if I do take a second to to think about it, I think it's. I'm so um, I'm so blessed to have been an athlete, and the fact that I know what it means to be competitive, and I guess working in an environment like ESPN never intimidated me. I just kind of came in and I was psyched that this was a competitive place. Like, I sort of love that. I love the black and white nature of sports. You work hard, you give your best effort, and 
ideally you win. I mean, it's not obviously not as black and white in, in the business world. But, yeah, I, I think that competitive nature, the notion of you know what it means to lead, you know what it means to be a member of a team, you know what it means to lose, unfortunately, and how hard that is and how much it hurts, I, I think that's uh, you know that's it's there's a lessons that you don't necessarily learn without playing sports. Absolutely. Uh, how how by the way we've talked about I mentioned just a few of the things uh, on the site ESPNW, but um, how responsive has the audience been uh, in terms of teaching you or telling you? giving you feedback uh, in terms of helping you develop and modify the site since you started it? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, we are always, like I said to you earlier, always doing research, always seeking feedback, always listening to our fans. And I, I think when you mentioned the content mix getting more and more complete, that's a direct result of listening to our users and listening to our fans and trying to give women more and more content. I think our next big challenge is how do we just reach more and more women? You know, how do we reach them where they are? You know, you know, social media is exploding. Like, how do we get more ESPNW content across those channels and reach women who maybe, you know, aren't necessarily going to ESPN or ESPN.com? And so that's sort of the next step for us. But, you know, the athlete features that we do and the, the stories that haven't been told before, the notion of um, – athletes and what they eat and what they do and their lifestyle and their motivations, that's all a direct result of listening to our fans and, and hearing what they want us to, to create. Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, right now, what's uh, what's most popular on your site? Stories that we tell around athletes and women doing amazing things, um, those you know tend to resonate. And it's something that we've found that you know, women really spark to. They want to see themselves, you know, in media. They want to see themselves on certain platforms. And so telling telling the stories of, of female athletes and women overcoming obstacles has been really important. I bet a lot of men listen to, uh, go to your website, too. Have you ever uh, gotten any data or checked that out? Oh, yeah. I mean, just by virtue of being a part of ESPN, we get millions and millions of women, uh, men, uh, you know, every month as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think at the, at the end of the day, a good story is a good story. And I think we've we've found that, you know, whether you think about our 30 for 30 films or, or anything we do on a larger storytelling basis, you know, men and women gravitate to that. Right. And I think uh, you're... Uh ESPNW is integrated with uh, ESPN TV and for Sports Center around the Horn, and uh, I think also E60 and outside the lines as well. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's by design. You know, it's one of the things as we continue to grow and we continue to think about how we can evolve and meet reach more people. You know, we know full well the power of ESPN, and so we're working really hard to get our talent and our voices and certain stories across all our platforms. Like you said, whether it's in ESPN, the magazine, or it's on SportsCenter, or it's on Around the Horn, you're starting to see that influence more and more. Now, do I have this right? Is ESPNW averaging about 4.6 million unique viewers per month and 15.3 million average page views per month? I mean, that that sounds incredible. Yeah, I mean... It is, but I think we still want more. <laughs> so so w- what's yeah. the next big thing? I mean, where can you go? It, it seems to me when I look at this site, it's got it's so well diversified, 
both in terms of the type of content and content presentation, whether it's videos, polls, long form, you know, what's your gut telling you? What's the research telling you where the next area you want to try? What's your next frontier? Well, I think for us, it is that, that bigger question of how do we simply reach more women? You know, how do we find all the women in this country, as I said, the 115 million women who define themselves as sports fans? How do we reach them? And not, you can't expect everybody to come to ESPNW.com. You know, I think we've learned that as the media world evolves, that you have to kind of go where your audience is. So we're really thinking about a distribution strategy of our content that's, you know, beyond our walls, if you will. So what more can we do on social? What more can we do with content partnerships? How do we use the power of the Walt Disney Company? Because lo and behold, ESPN is part of the Walt Disney Company, and who reaches more women and girls than the Walt Disney Company? So there's a ton of opportunities. I think we've worked really, really hard to establish this brand, and we've worked really hard to be authentic and credible and really deliver on what women want. But our next sort of challenge is to sort of grow beyond and reach reach women in, in brand new ways that, that maybe even our company hasn't explored before. Could that be by covering more sports, or is that through a broader international audience? Yeah, I mean, international is interesting. I mean, we, we have grown ESPNW to two markets already in Brazil and Australia, and we think there's more opportunity there for sure. But I think, you know, extending the reach of our, our storytelling, you know, whether it's, um, like I said, doing more with Facebook and Facebook Live or it's creating content partnerships with outside entities, you know, whether it's Cosmo or what have you. I, I, there's plenty of opportunities to partner with entities that reach millions and millions of women every day. What's the primary demographic of ESPNW? Right now, we very much focus on women 18 to 34, um, but we have seen that our content really resonates with even a younger audience. So we're we're thinking a lot about um, how do we even appeal to sort of that next generation of young girls, you know, 16 to 24. Um, but that's that's sort of the sweet spot for us right now is, you know, 18 to 34. I, I bet that... Uh that uh, recent acquisition of uh, a controlling interest in uh, Major League Baseball advanced media's tech division, tech arm. Uh, Yeah, BAM Tech. Yeah, BAM Tech. I mean, that's that's something that I imagine uh, you'll be able to capitalize on. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's just so many opportunities to, uh, what you stated earlier, to even cover more women's sports um, and help sort of those sports garner more eyeballs. But, you know, ESPN does more than any other single media entity to to broadcast women's sports and championships and highlight female athletes. You know, we do over 7,000 hours of women's sports programming a year. And I think with BAMTech and the growth of our app, there's ways to do more and to cover more sports and to highlight um, a more international athletes as well. So, yeah, I think as the bandwidth increases in terms of live sports and you have an infinite amount of shelf space, if you will, I think we're going to be doing more and more women's sports, sporting, sporting events. Laura, what does not work? I think what doesn't work is trying to please everyone. So, 
kind of flipping what you had noticed on its head, you know, we have a really diverse content mix on our site. I think you can get to a point where you're doing too much, and I think that's something that we're always looking at is that you can't please every type of woman. And when you think about women, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of layers, a lot of complexity. Um, You kind of have to pick your spots and your demographic within that gender, if you will. So we've, we've really focused on women who played sports, grown up playing sports, understand sports. It's a really a, a part of their individuality and their personality. So it's something that, you know, we're not trying to reach every single woman who's ever, ever picked up a ball, but women who really understand sports and love it, want to become more knowledgeable, want to feel like there's a platform that speaks to them. So I think there's just a danger of of trying to do too much, and then you don't really stand for anything. Do you think that in terms of putting out content in this era where there's so much, it gets out so quickly on social media, Facebook, Twitter, all that kind of stuff, that there's this battle being drawn between getting stuff that's cutting edge and, and getting stuff or avoiding stuff that, that may offend someone? Well, I think that's a sort of a societal question, too. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure it's a sports question. It's, it's sort of where are we as a society in terms of how we speak and how we talk to people and how can you speak your mind and be honest but not being disrespectful um, you know, it's something I think we think about a lot, not only at ESPNW, but also ESPN. How do you have a very pointed, distinctive point of view um, without alienating a huge, mm. you know, part of the audience? And I think we really we really try really hard to strike a balance where we show both sides of an argument and we um, – really are thoughtful in our editing and really thoughtful in our writing about certain topics. But I think everyone's struggling with that right now. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I, I would definitely agree. I, well, it's, it's drawing that balance and, and, and doing it in a, uh, I think you just hit on something, representing both points of view, which you do on, on your site, which I noticed. Um, what would you say is the biggest thing you've learned, Laura, in, uh, let's just say keep it to ESPNW in starting going from the beginning and the launch of the site to where you are today? Because I'm sure there are a lot of people listening. Hopefully there are a lot of people listening, but some of whom have aspirations to uh, follow a career path and be as successful as you are. And in, in particular, some of those, you know, wanting to do so, you know, with some way online. Well, I think, you know, it gets back to a lesson I learned that, I guess as a young girl, but has been been reinforced, and that's the power of team. You know, I, I think you can potentially come up with an idea or a business idea or something like a theory behind ESPNW, but unless you have an awesome team um, who's willing to do whatever it takes and run through some walls and turn the other cheek and just keep moving and keep trying and keep working really hard, I mean, we... We have an awesome team here, and from day one, we had an awesome group of of people who believed in the idea, and I think that's been a great learning experience, just sort of seeing the power of team in a business setting. 
and how you know you believe in each other and you believe in a vision and you just keep working you can really get to where you want to go and um i think we're trying to sort of continue it to capitalize on that where everyone's voice matters where we're not super hierarchical and everybody can contribute and it really has paid dividends for us and you know like any team everyone has a role to play and there are some leaders there are some followers but ideally it all adds up to a bigger whole and the team that's always been behind ESPNW has been really strong and really really passionate what's been the biggest changes that have uh, that you've made personally the biggest ways you've changed during the course of your career at ESPN yeah it it sounds like uh uh the future there is very bright uh, Laura Gentili, everyone, and Laura, it's been a privilege to have an opportunity to speak with you. I love your site. I recommend everybody go to ESPNW. Even you guys out there, if you're not afraid to learn something, go there. It's a great site, a lot of Don't cool be stuff. Don't, good ideas. Good ideas are transferable. Laura, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Mike. That's it for this episode of Forbes Sports Money. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a comment or question, please email us at sportsmoney at podcastone.com. That's O-N-E dot com. Howdy folks, it's good old J.R. Jim Ross, pro wrestling broadcaster and barbecue enthusiast, inviting you to join me every week for my podcast, The Ross Report, right here on Podcast One. Each week, I talk to the biggest stars in sports entertainment. We talk about the news of the day, MMA, wrestling, football, and much more. Recently, I've talked to such folks as Chris Jericho, Kane, Sonny, the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, and Emmy winner Rory Carp. Download and listen to The Ross Report every Tuesday at PodcastOne.com, the brand new Podcast One app. And be sure, folks, to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.